Thanks for checking out the Long and Short of It podcast. You can find us on all good podcast platforms. Please consider following or subscribing. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Long and Short of It, the podcast where we discuss each of the games on the Metacritic Top 100 list. My name's Lawrence and I'm joined by... This is Dan. Welcome to the... <laughs> welcome to the podcast, David. I was just in my microphone and <laughs> that came out really strange. I sounded like... <laughs> uh, let's continue. It's what funny. What is going on? The professionalism here is yeah, abysmal. Just, just pros. Pros. <laughs> Through and through. Well, but, but besides that, are you well? I am well. Um, just we're, We've got an audit in work and I was preparing lots of stuff for that. So my mind's not entirely moved over to recording yet. So well, you may get some good, good funny job words not out auditing of your microphone because that'll be, a, that'll be a strong fail. Yes. Very strong fail. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. You know, what day is it? I, I say this every time I call like, oh, Monday. what day is it? And I always, I just get confused. But yes, I'm quite well. It's supposed to rain for the rest of the week, which I'm quite looking forward to because I'm weird. So <laughs> there's an insight into my mind. So it's, uh, it's been raining pretty heavily nonstop here for the, well, for years since I moved up here. So. It's because you live up north. Yeah. It's always raining up north. Yeah. So... This week, we are talking about a pretty big game, to be honest. We're coming off the back of Majora's Mask, which in itself is a pretty big game to discuss. But we're moving straight on to one of the big hitters on the list, that being Half-Life 2. Now, Half-Life 2 came out in November 2004, originally on the PC. It was developed by Valve Software, and it has a score on the Metacritic list of 96 which brings it in on our list at number 17. So it's a pretty high-ranking game. And, I mean, you ask a lot of people, and they'll probably say that Half-Life 2 is potentially one of the best games ever made. Now, Certainly one of the best FPSs. Yeah, and I mean, I think we touched on it briefly when we played the first Half-Life for this podcast. But Half-Life is it's really a beast in and of itself. And, you know, there's been calls and petitions and all sorts of stuff for years regarding half-life 3 and most recently i think was half-life alex which is also on the list which is a vr game so there is a lot more half-life for us to play also being half-life 2 episode 1 and episode 2 which feature in the orange box but first let's just kind of go over the 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 basics so what's your background with this game and what console did you play it on um background with this game i i bought this game when the orange box came out on 360 and ps3 um i bought the orange box i'm not sure if i i know i had it on the 360 and the ps3 at different points but i'm not sure which one i bought first i think i may have got the ps3 version first and then i got the 360 version um because if you know anything about those uh, conversions of the game the PS3 version is known to be not great. Um, so the 360 version was much more stable. And um, that's when I first played it. And I completed it then. Really enjoyed it. And I've completed it a couple of times since then. So this maybe is my maybe my third time completing it. Okay, fair enough. So, you've, And this um... time I played on 
the Xbox Series X, but I was playing the Xbox 360 version via the Series X. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, same as with Half-Life, your experience is a little bit more in-depth than mine is with this series. I I hadn't played the first Half-Life before this podcast, and same goes for Half-Life 2. It's, it's one of those games, and I say it quite often, that I've always been aware of, and I feel that I'm memeing myself when I say that, because I say it about every game that I haven't played. But Half-Life 2 is a really well-renowned game, and it just never been something that interested me before. Now, I did try and play this on Xbox, but I had issues with the Microsoft Store, and I had a little moan about Xbox to you. Because I do like it as a console, but I just think that the whole Microsoft element of it is just, it's, it's, a, it's a nightmare, it's a pain. And I had to use Authenticator and it didn't send and I then so got locked out of my account. more about your Microsoft account, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like through Xbox, but I, I, I just, I struggle with Xbox and it usually ends up with me kicking and screaming. But I then realized that I have a laptop uh, which I'm still borrowing from um, from my friend Dan from when we did the original Half-Life game and realised I could get the orange box on Steam. So I got it for like £3.29. So bargain. Bargain. Yeah. Um, Absolute and just, bargain. Yeah. I just hooked up my Xbox controller um, and played it on Steam, which was quite good. Hooked up to my TV and it, it was all fine. So you, so, didn't have, <laughs> so you didn't have the issues that you had when you were playing. I remember you playing, was it? Quake, Quake. Uh, yeah it, it didn't have any controller mapping or anything on Quake that I could work out anyway and it just made that game difficult to play <laughs> um, but yeah oh, dear. I, I, we, we, we got through it we got there so this is something that I'm probably going to need your help on I'm quite glad that I'm the person asking you the question this week but can you sum up the story of this game because it's one of those games that I feel that there's quite a lot of environmental storytelling going on in it, but the overarching story of this game I felt was quite lacking and there wasn't yeah. much of a, an overarching story as such. So can you kind of do your best to, to explain the story for Half-Life yeah. 2? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It is, it's environmental storytelling. Um, there are very few times, there's a couple of times... There are very few times where um, control is taken completely away from you. Um, you're usually in control of the ca- uh, the camera. Um, so this game, if you cast your mind back, listener, to when we played Half Life, uh, there was a there was a strange ending where you got to make a decision with um, what's his name, Mr. The G Man. That's it. Yeah. So the G Man asked you to make make a decision. You could either um go to this planet and get mutilated by horrible aliens or you could work with him so half-life 2 picks up from there and obviously the canon ending is that you work with him so he tells you to wake up you wake up you're on a train pulling into city 17 and really to begin with you're just trying to find the people that you work with before so you've got barney you've got um you've got alex's dad can't remember his name eli <laughs> yeah that's it eli um who and you've got dr kleiner and eli and dr kleiner are were 
were NPCs in the original Half-Life. So yeah. they were meant to be evolutions of M- NPC characters, like the scientists that you saw when you were walking around in Half-Life. Um, so you go to find them and then you get transported somewhere. So things go wrong. So this isn't even part of the story, really. Um, so you've got a big section where you're trying to get back to them and their base and then you go to Ravenholm. This is a game which is very much things happening to you rather than you trying to achieve something. Um, so obviously the first time you get waylaid and you're trying to get back to the base, the second time you're going through Ravenholm because that's the only way of escape. Because We, we don't go there attack. anymore. Exactly. And then you, you're, you're looking for Eli, and this is kind of the big objective for the second half of the game and you go you head towards nova prospect which is a large prison complex and you meet up with alex there and then stuff happens and you don't save eli and you're back in the city because you got transported there a week later apparently and again you're looking for eli you're trying to get into the citadel and you end up going to save Alex, Eli, uh, and that's that's it for who you're trying to save. But um, yeah, so it, there is there is story. Um, it's very much of the kind of lots of stuff happening around you, and because you're that voiceless character, um, it kind of suits that. And then you get, uh, you get a message from the G-Man at the end, and... These, I can't even remember what he says. So, <laughs> I'm I'm sure there are Half Life fans that are screaming the plot at us right now. But um, I mean, have you got anything to add to that? Um, not not really. I mean, I really struggled following the 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 plot of this game. Like, th- th- there were a lot of side bits, like you just mentioned, with you know going into Ravenholm and trying to get back to to Eli and and Doctor. Um, what's his name? Dr. Kleiner. Kleiner. Dr. Kleiner. Yeah. And the the overarching thing that I picked up from the game was like there's an uprising against like a tyrannical, not tyrannical, but bit bit like a dictatorship. Um, and I mean, City Seventeen seems like a bit of an Eastern European. Um, yeah, city really. From the Cold War. Yeah, really thematically. Yeah, I, yeah. I always got eastern european vibes from it but i felt that the story in the first half-life was more prominent than in this one and really this game is a a much stronger focus on the gameplay that's where this game really thrives and i think with our, our usual feature of gameplay is king this is really where the meat of the episode is because it is primarily all about the gameplay in this game. So, I mean, first of all, do, do you think this game's fun? Do you think it's fun to play? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's fun to play. Um, and I think that really stems from your arsenal. You've got this yeah. fantastic arsenal. The thing that I kept thinking about playing this game is how they do an arsenal nearly better than every other fps out there um these are not your standard weapons the star of the show being the gravity gun which Definitely. i mean many fps's i mean think about call of duty it's just built with this very basic arsenal and some of the games play around with that a bit but 
think about all the effort that went into the physics with the gravity gun. It's just really impressive. And then building these worlds where, um, or these levels where you've got all these things to manipulate. You've got some environmental puzzles. Um, so the gravity gun is is the star. But then you've got some, like plays on the the uh, rocket launcher, which you can guide. And you've got really satisfying magnum. You've got a nice shotgun. Again, the, these weapons are weighty and um, they yeah. just feel good to use. Um, so I always, it was a game of, oh, what should I use here? Um, and the crossbow's fantastic as well. Um, it, it's, it's, it was always fun picking my weapon. And the game's quite, quite generous with its ammo. So, yeah, it was always a joy to, to strategize and to pick my weapon and to decide the best way to progress. And in terms of, um, I think the other the other key thing, I mean, we, we may get onto this um, with the plot, I suppose, is there's, there's two things. Um, big part of this game is the characters and the very natural dialogue and the very um, impressive at the time facial animation and yes. just general animation. Um, so although maybe there's not a lot going in the actual plot, there are these really nice moment to moments with the characters that feel, I mean, think 2004, there wasn't really anything like this I can think of um, that was doing stuff like this. And I also think, <laughs> love them or hate them, a lot of games owe this game something and maybe it goes back to the first Half-Life game as well, but it seems more, more prominent and better done here, which is set pieces. Um, set pieces are very present in this game so you walk past and um, something happens at a certain time and you get to you, you focus on that using the camera and it was a really big thing here and I think lots of games borrowed from that because it was done so well here um, I think it's definitely a fun game to play um, some parts better than others I yeah. think there's some pacing issues at times it does drive a I, bit I, I tend to think that there are a bunch of good areas in this game, but some of them just drag on a bit too long. Like the boat bit, it just seems to go on and on that and went on. on for quite a while. I think um, Nova Prospect as well. That went on for quite a while, as did Ravenholm. And I know you, you really like Ravenholm, and I, th- I thought it was good. Like the 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 environment around it was really cool, but it just went on a bit too long for my liking. And I mean, full disco- uh, full disclosure, I didn't manage to complete it. Um, I was playing it up until about 20 minutes before we started recording today and I've got up to the section right at the end um, I think it's the second to last chapter follow the Freeman and I was on the roof taking down choppers and then I think my game crashed and then I got stuck and I just couldn't be bothered um, it was really winding me up but so you, you, you will be completing this before we do episode one anyway so yeah. it's not like yeah I will be finishing it um, but the the section that I'm on at the moment on there, it's just dragging as well. Like it's good. Yeah, that's, and there's that's a lot of the action, section. It's just it's just going on I and feel on. Like and the, on. Yeah, the final the final four chapters say that you don't get a real big change in setting. No. The Citadel's cool and they do some some cool stuff with that. The Citadel is kind of a much better version of what they did. I mean it's nothing like it, but I mean it's them experimenting again as you'll see when you get there um in the same way that they did with you know when you go to the, the strange planet 
um, at, at the, the end, end of Half Life One. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's much less. It's not like you're going to it. You you are inside the Citadel, but they do change things up in there, um, which is quite cool. So I won't spoil that for you, but yeah, there's there's some, there's some cool stuff in there. Um, so that bit's good, but yeah, like the three chapters leading up to that, I feel like they do drag a bit, and and I think the problem is the game kind of climaxes, and then you feel like you're at this climax point, but it doesn't finish. And 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 sometimes sometimes games have a problem doing this. They reach this climax point, but they don't quite know when to end. And I feel like this is one of those games, but um. I mean, generally speaking, I I love Ravenholm, and I think as well because I've played it before. Some sections went on longer than I I thought that they did, um, and some sections didn't. So I I remember Ravenholm being quite long, and to me it went much quicker than last time, and I completely forgot about the boat section. So having this boat section that seemed to drag on for a long time, so I've got my own preconceptions to kind of battle with as well. Um, but yeah, it's definitely got some, some pacing stuff here and there, but generally speaking, I'd say it's a fun game to play. Um, so, so overall, what would you say? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. Like I said, the, the, the main meat of this game is the gameplay. It's similar to MGS5, The Phantom Pain, in that the story isn't really what's shining in this game. It's more the, the gameplay and what you do with it. And I agree with you that really the, the the fun stuff in this game is messing around with the weapons and how weighty they are and i mean it's a very very linear game there are areas where you can kind of wander around a little bit but it's very much like you're on a you're on a straight track yeah and definitely i, I quite like game. that about it because it just meant that i could just go from point a to b to c to d um and you know none of the enemies are ever too difficult to kill you've got the difficult ones in there like the um the big ant scarab thing yeah that you the, fight the, like three the, times the, the ant lions the giant one yeah i know what you mean yeah and i mean getting the ant lion thing oh, i love that that, that you can so use cool. as a weapon was great it's a shame you can't use it more often um, yeah i agree but that when was they take really that away from you if it, if it was really sorely missed yeah big time that was a really good element and obviously the gravity gun is um you know one of the very famous things about this game you can use it to you know fling stuff at, at enemies or monsters or you can use it to pick up a filing cabinet or a barrel and use it as cover when you know you've got turrets in front of your snipers it is a cool concept and i think that's a big element to the reason a lot of people like this game a lot i mean one of my favorite yeah. areas was the bridge you know, the, oh, I um, love the bridge. I yeah, that was a really bridge. cool bit. And obviously Brilliant. you're driving around a, a lot at that point as well. And you're just having short breaks, getting out and defending stuff and then taking out that bridge. Um, I really like that bit. That was definitely a standout bit for me. I mean, well, th- that that brings brings me to a good point, which is um, we talked about the platforming. Do you remember we talked about the platforming in Half-Life 1? And my conclusion was that it feels like you're on ice. Yes. And... It's very easy to mistime your jumps. I mean, they've really improved the platforming here. Big time. And the bridge is the best example of that. I loved doing daredevil jumps from... Um, like Gerdas and Gerda to Gerda. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, it's just great fun. I loved... The bridge is probably my favourite bit in the game, actually. Yeah, it was definitely a highlight. So, what would you say your favourite move is or your favourite thing to do? I'm... I'm, I think I know what you're going to say, but you might surprise me. 
Well, I mean, I think there are some really great weapons, as mentioned before, but I think when you think about the, obviously, the, the, the work that went into developing the gravity gun and the thing that differentiates this from other shooters, I think the gravity gun has to win it because it's a game that really encourages experimentation with its weaponry. That's, and that's very much a some... Valve thing as well, isn't it? Like experimentation. Yeah, and I love games that do that. I love games that are brave enough to give the player a bit of freedom to mess around with the systems. And this game does that. So I always have time for that. And the Gravity Gun is the best example of that. And I bet there's all sorts of stuff of people doing crazy stuff on with, with the Gravity Gun online. So uh, I think players must agree. Yeah, I, I, well, I certainly agree. I think that the gravity gun is probably the standout thing that you can use in the game just because of how varied it can be. And, you know, there are puzzles, well, not puzzles, but bits that you can get stuck on and you're like, oh, obviously I've got to use the gravity gun, but you didn't think of it initially. Do you know what I mean? There, there are some areas yeah. where it's like, oh, yeah, it's obviously that, but it wasn't the first thing. So you have thing to move boxes of. around uh, waterlogged rooms to. Yeah. Um, to, to jump onto the boxes to get across. I mean, it's not it's not hugely intellectual stuff that you have to do or anything no, like that, but it's still no. fun. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it it doesn't let you get into like a funk or into autopilot. This game, like once you're kind of comfortable, you're just going along. It will throw something in there that will make you think and make you kind of analyze your situation. I think. Which... One of the things that it does really well is when it introduces a new feature, it gives you that opportunity to mess around with it first uh, before you're thrown in at the deep end. And that's just good game design. So, Like when you first get the gravity gun and you mess around with um, Dog. Yeah, a perfect example, yeah. it's It teaches you what to do in this kind of fun setting that isn't strictly labelled as tutorial. Yeah, yeah. It's it's good game design, isn't it? Because there's nothing worse than just being given something. I'm like, right, go work it out. Or your hand being held too much. Like with a lot of people don't like early tutorial parts in games now. And I get it. I can't stand them. Yeah. And I, I, I can understand why. It's nice when there's like a small amount of guidance. Like, here's how you use this. Off you go. And then it just leads you to it, you know? I finally started Cyberpunk over the weekend. And I don't know if I'm going to continue on on with it at the moment because I'm, I'm having a bit of a gaming burnout at the moment and it just seems to be a very large, complex game and, and just too big for me at the moment. I will, I will get around to it because I always do. But um, I started it and I was met to begin with with lots of tutorials and I just thought, I can't be bothered with this. Yeah, I imagine there's a lot to take in with that game. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, that game's never appealed to me, to be honest. But once you get into it, you might enjoy it. But yeah, maybe you just need a little bit of a break. I'm sure. I'm sure I will enjoy it. But um, yeah, it, I think getting into a game is the hardest thing about gaming. Once a game hooks you, that's it. You're flying. But I mean, I feel like less and less games hook me nowadays. Yeah. Same. So I'm hoping that uh, it does hook me. And that, but I'm. I, I think I'm not gonna. I started playing Mass Effect, the first one again last night. So I think I'm gonna stick with that more because. I know what I'm getting into with that, and I love Mass Effect. Yeah, that's fair enough. It's been it's been quite a long time since I've I've played a game and really got lost in it. Um, I think because you and me 
like kind of blast our way through many get through so many games for this podcast it can be quite difficult to juggle just playing a game casually on the side as well yeah. uh, and for me particularly finding the time to do that but half life games maintaining your attention as well i mean well, yeah. i said to you that i was playing assassin's creed valhalla and i got to a certain point we were playing majora's mask which i got really into and i just struggled to carry on with valhalla and then it ended very abruptly like they usually do um yeah so yeah it's not only keep it's it's not only getting you hooked but it's keeping you hooked too yeah 100 percent. i think um that brings us on to the question of the week now speaking of games that can hook you and games that will you know stick with you obviously half-life 2 has got a very very big um very big following and it's still very highly renowned i mean the engine that was made to create it is still being used to put together fun stuff online now and it's very rare that you'll come across like a top 10 list that doesn't include half-life 2 it's it's a massive game but this game came out in 2004 when you know games with very good graphics games with good features games with good gameplay they were they were coming thick and fast i mean we've said it before 2004 was a very very good year for games but why do you think this game in particular is so highly regarded against all others and i think you could probably also make the argument that this is a game not as important as ocarina of time but this is an important game but why do you think it is so highly regarded yeah, definitely really important game. And I think you mentioned 2004. Yes, there were good games coming thick and fast, but not all of them looked like Half-Life did. Um, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find games that released on console that looked anywhere near as good as Half-Life did uh, at the time. I mean, there's the, the famous Xbox original Xbox port of Half-Life 2, and the original Xbox being much more powerful than the GameCube and the PS2, um, it struggled with Half-Life 2, and it was a it was a bit of an iffy port. So for 2004, you've got to cast your mind back to what games were coming out then, and it wasn't really until 2006-ish that games started to look like this as a norm. So it was a yeah. couple of years ahead of its time in terms of the engine. And this is why that engine was so wi- widely adopted. I mean, think about the games. We, we talked about this in the Half-Life episode, but and maybe in the Portal episode as well. But how many games used that engine, that very famous games and very well-renowned games nowadays, use that engine to create their product? I mean, you've got things like um, the Stanley Parable, such as Dear Esther. Um, and... Yeah. I think it's because the feature set for this engine was really, really good. And it's, yeah, like you said, it's still used today. And um, I'm sure that there are some that are missing there as well. But yeah, there are some really big games. There's, as you said, Gary's mod as well. Um, and then all the other, well, Half-Life 2 Episode 1 and 2 were built using the same engine. So I think it was a very flexible engine. It looked better than other games at the time. And also, if you think back to first-person shooters at the time... Not many of them were doing this, and it turned into a very, very popular thing. I mean, I think you can see the traces of um, things like Call of Duty nowadays um, in 
Half-Life 2. So I think it stood out because it was just a really good shooter. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest reason. And I mean, since, I mean, before that you had, you had like Metroid Prime, you had Halo, you had some good shooters out there, but yeah, it was just a really good shooter and it was probably the first one in a couple of years. That's fair enough. I mean, I, I get your answer and, and there's a lot of there's a lot of weight behind Half-Life 2 but I mean I've asked myself this question and I've just struggled to see why this game when there were a but then, lot of other... I mean what, what, what games are you thinking of from 2004? Straight off the bat you've got games like MGS4 uh, MGS3 sorry not MGS4 you've got um, San Andreas my mind's gone a little bit blank with other games that came out that year, but we've discussed it before and I think we had a list and there's like a lot of really prominent ones, but it doesn't even have to be 2004, but I'm just, I've been struggling to see why this game, like it could be any game I just from think, that period. I just, I think those, those graphics at that time, because I think if you really put something like MGS3, and something like uh, GTA San Andreas next to this, they would look really. If you just looked at the screens, if you just looked at the visuals, they would look really not great in comparison. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and as well, this game was designed for PC. Um, yeah. You know, so. And MGS3 has got a really nice art style, but in terms of textures and stuff like that, th- this game beats it hands down. Yeah, of and then, course. And you've got the stuff like the facial animation, which was a really big deal. I mean,. I'd say actually that the facial animation still looks decent today. Obviously, oh, it does. it's not The Last of Us Two, but this was one of the first times that you got faces that didn't look cartoony, that 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 felt real, that felt relatable. One of the, one of the I I remember this. One of the big things that people love about Half Life Two is Alex, and Alex's character is developed further within Episode One and Episode Two. But people really love Alex, which explains why we got Half-Life Alex. Um, because I remember there was discussion about people feeling like Alex was a real person. And that was quite a new and novel thing at the time. And, and it's, not, it's not to take away anything from San Andreas or MGS3, because I love both of those games. I literally would put them in my top 100 easily. Um, but I think it was just... I mean, it's a bit like Crisis, isn't it? It was just very, very impressive tech. Big time, yeah, and, of course. And I think sometimes that's what you need. And then you've got a game that backs it up, which is fun to play. I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think this is the best game ever, or close to being the best game ever. But back in two thousand and four, I reckon it felt like the future. Yeah. And I, and I think that's probably why it's so well regarded. Yeah, I can, I can understand that. And like thinking of another game that came, I think it was two thousand and four. It's a game we've covered already, Halo Two. And I think you and me both played the anniversary version of that game. But when you compare the graphics of what Halo Two looked like fr- from two thousand and four compared to this, it is night and day. And 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 it's a good example actually because. What did you enjoy playing more, Halo 2? I mean, you've got a bit of history with Halo 2. Mm. Um, but to me, like the campaigns 
I think the campaign here is so much more fleshed out than Halo 2. I think Halo 2 is just more of the same with Halo 1. Well, That's not necessarily a bad thing. Half-Life 2 and Halo 2 both suffer from the same issue for me in that I really struggle to follow the plot. Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> and I think I think there's a lot of environmental storytelling going on with both of them, but in very different ways. And Half-Life 2 probably having the edge over Halo 2 in that aspect. But I really enjoy the gameplay of Halo, even though I'm not like a huge Halo fan. I just think it's it's quite good. But, oh yeah, they're both very fun to play. Yeah, I think it comes down to, uh, and I suppose this is a very individual thing. It comes down to the different areas in the games. I mean, I prefer the more realistic, even though they're not realistic, but the more sci-fi, but I suppose gritty areas of Half-Life compared to um, the more fantastical. Yeah, the more fantastical elements of Halo, which sometimes I feel like they can blend into each other a bit. Yeah. No. I agree. I mean, this is this is the game, the first game I think on the list that I've really struggled with, because I know how much it's loved. I know its reputation, and I did find it fun, but I've just really struggled with the question of why this game over a lot of others. And you know what what you've said absolutely, I agree with. The graphics are very good for two thousand and four. You know, it is imaginative, it is creative, it's different. But at the same time, I don't think it's different enough. But maybe that's me coming at it from a, a mindset of 2021. I'm not sure. I think um, 2004 was a really funny time. And the graphics war was on. Yeah. Everything was... I mean, I used to look at magazines and if a game looked good graphically, it would have my attention. Um, I remember seeing like Splinter Cell and Hitman Blood Money in, in magazines and thinking, wow, they look so good. And I, I thought, oh, this, because at the time, I don't, I don't know, maybe maybe our understanding of games has is, is, is changed and developed. But at the time, there was still a bit of a link between graphics and whether a game was good or not. And you could argue that's still there today for many people. Um, and I'm not saying that this game is just graphics, but I'm saying that the tech here was really impressive and... It had a good game to back it up. I think when you break down a lot of games, I mean, sometimes that's what you end up with when you break them down. Uh, uh, impressive tech. I mean, we're definitely going to come across it. I mean, with other games on this list, and maybe we've already come across some games like that. Um, I I don't like. It's not. It's it's not my favorite FPS game. Um, it's not even close. There are a few games I put above it in the FPS genre, um, some on this list, but I do think it's a, a very good game. Yeah, I, I, I didn't dislike it. Um, for me, it was good, but there were some elements of it that were quite run of the mill. So I suppose that kind of brings us to what what are your final thoughts on this game. Like, do you think this game deserves to be in the list? Do you know what? I've not asked myself that question. <laughs> I can't remember. Did I kick Half-Life out of the list? I think you did. I think I did. <laughs> I think I did, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I think this is a much better game than Half-Life. Um, I said it at the time. And I enjoy this game more. I don't think it's perfect. I think the pacing lets it down. I think some of the episodes are better than the main game. 
um, Half-Life 2 Episode 2, I think is better than one Episode 1 and Half-Life 2. So it'll be interesting when we get to those. Um, I think, I think it, it does deserve to be there, but I don't think it would be anywhere near number 17 for me. I think it would be at the lower end of the list for me. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. I think it's got its place on this list, but not as high as it yeah. currently is. And I, I, I struggle to see people saying that this is, you know, one of the best games ever made. I just don't see it. And I have tried hard to to look and maybe I'll feel differently after playing episode one and episode two. Maybe that will make something click for me. But, but I think you've got a, I think you've got a point though in that the things that made this game impressive in 2004, which is kind of what we were talking about, are not the things that stand out today because no. everything's caught up. No. So I think even when you play episode one and two, you're probably still going to have very much the same opinion. And I mean, maybe you won't, but I wouldn't be surprised if you did because the things that it does well and it, it, it does them well and it does them fluidly are the things that, I mean, this game almost suffers from the face. It's like we talked about Oblivion, a game that came out and lots of other games kind of borrowed from it. Half-Life 2 is also that game. And the problem with that is that other games iterate on it. They kind of refine it. So the things that Half-Life 2 did don't feel as special in 2021 as they did in 2004. Yeah, it's... It's an interest. It's an interesting game, and I think it's one of the ones that I've grappled with the most, in terms of where I think it deserves to be and its legacy and it, it, its place. And I mean, the the first Half Life wasn't really a game for me anyway. It's not my kind of game, but I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed this as well. But yeah, there's just something I'm not quite getting. But that might change. Do you think? Do you think because it came out at a funny time? And then the orange box was released, I think, in 2007. Mm -hmm. I might be wrong about that, but it was around then. Yeah, I think it was around So, do you think that... Because it's... To me, when I think of Half-Life 2, I don't think retro. Like, I think... No, nor me. Half-Life is retro. Yeah. GoldenEye is retro. Quite. You kind of... Um, yeah, and you, you, you kind of are a bit more forgiving of those games because they're so... I mean, they're over 20 years old yeah. now. Yeah. And you kind of forgive some of the archaic system. I think one of, I suppose, one of the biggest um, problems with Half Life Two is that it still feels quite modern, and you can map those buttons. And I did. You can map those buttons to have the Call of Duty layout, which has become standout. Yeah. No, standard. Sorry. Um, so I was using standard Call of Duty button mapping for this game. So one of the issues with it is that it kind of fits right in with modern games, which is a very, which is a great compliment as well. The fact that it's aged so well, but also it competes with modern games in that way. It doesn't feel retro. No, not at all. It, it feels like it's just one in the one in the crowd to me. Um, yeah, but it was good and. I'm interested to see what episode one and episode two are like, which we'll get to at some point in the latter half of the list, because this game was number 45. So we've only got 
a few more until we hit that big 50 and then we're into the uh, the second half which is crazy um yeah the time's kind of flown but yeah so i mean that that, that was half life 2 a bit of a in my opinion, a bit of a bitty episode, really, because I think I've I've struggled to kind of vocalise my overall opinion on this game. But well, you've you've been playing it up until. I mean, I had the same issue when we played Final Fantasy Nine. Yeah, um, it's very hard to gather your thoughts within a. I mean, I, I finished that what, again about twenty minutes before the episode mm, started. And I remember. I felt really not happy with the way that I vocalised how I felt about that game in the episode. Um, so I, I get what you mean. It's not easy to, to kind of gather your thoughts. And um, I mean, I'm not entirely decided about Half-Life 2. I, do, I, I think it's a very good game, but not not the best FPS. Certainly not the best game. No. But we'll see what um, Half-Life 2 Episode 1 and Episode 2 bring. It might change my mind a little bit. Who knows? Well, there's more story there, so I think you'll enjoy that aspect. Oh, I do love a story. I do. I do like some narrative. It has to be said. So, game number forty-six is next. What are we playing? We're uh, we're doing the game that we intended to do, probably around twenty uh, on this list, which was uh, Devil May Cry. We even announced the episode and started playing and... it. Yeah, so we both started playing this, um, but I think um, we've 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 been juggling a bit recently, both of us, and we thought, okay, we'll we'll just do a game that's quite straightforward to do, and we'll kind of have a rethink after that, um, and onwards from fifty, from obviously fifty one to a hundred, we'll, we'll we want to come back really energetic and really strong. So we've got a good game uh, booked for number fifty as well, haven't we? Quite we do indeed. One. I mean, do you want to reveal that now because yeah, um, get people stoked and excited. Yeah, sure. So we we've already covered Metal Gear Solid One and Metal Gear Solid Two on this podcast. Uh, we did them in out reverse of order. order. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're going to be playing Metal Gear Solid Three Snake Eater for episode fifty, which I think we're both quite looking forward to because it's yeah, it's certainly one of my favourite games. I think it's up there for you as well, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's my favourite MGS game, and I'm. Well, I'd say I used to be a bigger fan of MGS, but I think um, I think MGS Five took some of the wind out of my sails for it. Yeah, but I do. I I still love MGS Three. But it's the James Bond of the MGS series. Well, yeah, it is, isn't it? There's um, I'm sure we'll discuss it in the episode, but there's a very good um analysis of MGS Three by Super Bunny Hop on YouTube, and he likens a lot of it to to James Bond and Mission Impossible and stuff. But that's a conversation for another day. Um, we've got five more games to play. Well, four more games to play before then. So, as per usual, you can get to us on all the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can email us at the long and short of it podcast at hotmail.com. You know, leave us a, leave us a, well, leave us an email. Chuck us an email, leave us a comment. Um, if you haven't yet, please consider following or subscribing it really does help and you know we we love that you guys seem to be listening and enjoying so we'll we'll keep it up and hopefully you'll keep up the enjoyment um anything from you to finish no that's about it that about covers it superb well 
we hope you enjoyed this episode on Half-Life 2. We will see you next time for Devil May Cry. Cheerio. See you on the next one.